Our lesson this morning is a, a follow-up of last week's lesson. If you were with us, we, we were talking about the Word of God, really treasuring it. How can we set our hearts to be in the Word of God, to take the next step, whether that's reading, memorizing, meditating on the Word of God. How can we treasure that? And the answer was, to get to read the Bible more, the answer is, read the Bible more. Because as you read the Bible more, those are the words that give freedom and life and revive the soul. And as you feast upon it, you develop an appetite. So we talked about we don't want to just come to the Bible and say, what does this mean to me? We, we want to read it. But the better hermeneutic is, hey, what is God saying to me? What does God mean by this passage? And then what we're talking about today, how can I put that into practice when I read the Bible? How can I obey what God is telling me? So for some of us, as we dig into the Word, maybe we have to read less and follow more. Maybe we have to read less and meditate more. And for some of us, maybe we have to read more. But today is about pleasing obedience. Mm -hmm. What motive do we have for obedience to the Lord? And I want to talk about God's pleasure. See if I can keep up with the slides. You know, some people have not complained, but mentioned to me, oh, we, we turn our Bible open to the same page every Sunday because we usually preach from a text. So today I'm going to have you turn your Bible about 50 times. We're going to hit a bunch of different scriptures on this theme of obedience. And we want to answer this question, how can I obey these words that I'm reading? Do I even stand a chance when we read about some of these failures and stories in the Old Testament? My, my wife mentioned to me when I said, I think I want to do a lesson on obedience. She said, I don't think people are going to want to hear that. I said, you're right. I could definitely do it in a way that people don't want to hear it. But this lesson is meant to be encouraging and very affirmational. And I think you'll be very encouraged by it by the end. That's the intent here. So we're, we're bouncing around these scriptures on obedience. You can read them here on the slide. I'll, I'll read them as well. As for you, son of man, we're, we're going to start with some Old Testament and bridge it into the New Testament. So this is in Ezekiel. Your people are talking together about you by the walls and at the doors of the houses, saying to each other, come and hear the message that has come from the Lord. My people come to you as they usually do and sit before you to hear your words, but they do not put them into practice. Their mouths speak of love, but their hearts are greedy for unjust gain. Indeed, to them you are nothing more than one who sings love songs with a beautiful voice and plays an instrument well, for they hear your words, but do not put them into practice. We know that's not me because you heard my singing this morning. <laughs> but it is powerful. Man, they come and hear the message, but do not put it into practice. They approve of the truth, but they don't act on it personally. And they're even enthusiastic, you know, they're singing along, they have the zeal, but not all of the actions to back it up. They don't have the obedience. They express this devotion, they express their commitment, but they don't actually have the follow-through of obedience. Because of sites, they have hearts for unjust gain. And that's actually a pretty big category. <laughs> We want a lot of things for our own selfish pleasure that are pretty unjust. 
And to just keep it a big category, if we considered that the world is lost, that we can always be doing something to improve upon that condition and see justice in the world and bring Jesus to the world, then there's quite a bit that we can be doing that is unjust by not improving upon that condition, mm -hmm. by not obeying the Lord. Mm -hmm. So we're, we're going to go through a few more scriptures, but remember this is meant to be encouraging <laughs> as we think of our own lifestyle, our own obedience. The next one I have here says it speaks of a new heart. This is the hope and looking forward to the New Testament. It says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. Man, a new heart inside of you, the Holy Spirit inside of you. That gives us the hope, no longer in the Old Testament where we see them going through a cycle of failure, but hey, you're no longer going to have the hard heart. You're going to have me to guide you. Not only the Word, but Holy Spirit within you. And a new heart. We have hope of not only being entertained by the truth, but of deeply incorporating it into our being. Because of the Holy Spirit. That's the hope that we have in the New Testament. Go to my next slide here. We see Jesus come on the scene before the Holy Spirit is active, but Jesus says this, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? That's actually two men along the road speaking about Jesus. He opens the scriptures to them and their hearts burn within them. It's not just a casual reading of scripture, but man, it's a Convicted reading of scripture, especially when they realize Jesus was just with them. And that's what I think it takes for us to be obedient to the word. We want our hearts to be burning from it, convicted on it. And the lesson today is how can we fan that into flame? That burning that's begun. Later in James 1.22, it says, do not merely listen to the word. And so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Whoever looks intently into the perfect law of liberty. Perfect law of liberty. Or the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it. Not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. This brings in a couple of things where we're going to camp out on here. Perfect law of freedom, that gives freedom. We don't usually think about that with the law. Sure. But that's part of our motive for reading and obeying is that it mm -hmm. does give freedom. Amen. It goes on another motive, well, hey, blessed in what they do, do what it says. Yeah. Puts it very clearly. So we, we want to consider that in our lifestyle. Is our heart burning? Are we doing what it says? And if it's not, then how can we kindle it to be burning? Because that's where we want to be. Let's talk about how we get there this morning. We want to have that new heart, that burning heart, and following his laws. And I think the key to that is not actually just reading and reading and reading, though that convicts us and has an effect but I think obedience is a major key mm -hmm. in knowing and understanding and experiencing 
this freedom, this blessing of the scriptures. I'll let you know what I'm talking about. Obedience being the key. How can that word bring freedom? I want to bring one example to light. You may have heard of these women back in 2009. They were imprisoned in Tehran. Mm -hmm. And so they have an amazing testimony to share with other Christians. They're Christians in Tehran. Marian and Mary Isa, I believe is how to say her name. She goes by Mary. So they ended up smuggling Bibles into Tehran and distributing about 20,000 of them, which you're not allowed to do in Tehran under the Islamic rule there. They ended up distributing them. They ended up hosting house church out of their apartments. And they distribute these Bibles around, put them in cars, other restaurants, other places, hand them off to people. They couldn't even tell their family what they were doing. It was very covert. The, the government there thought that some, somebody had invaded and started distributing all of these, but it came back to these two women. And it's so important to distribute these Bibles because there they will actually print Bibles and take Jesus out of the Bible or insert that Jesus is just a prophet and say, yeah, here's your New Testament. Mm-hmm. And it's a false Bible. So they're giving these true Bibles out. Wow. Ended up being arrested and imprisoned for over six months Believers right around nine months, separated in one of the worst prisons where people go to die, where people go to be tortured, and they were certainly harassed and persecuted. Finally, they were freed, but when they were freed, this was their testimony. They said, no, we, we experienced freedom far before the government ever set us free. And they said, why is that? And they said, well, because they took our Bibles away from us. Why is that? Well, they took our Bibles away from us, so we were able to just think about the verses that we remembered. Mm-hmm. And then not only think about them, but we were able to live them, know them, understand them, and experience them more deeply than we ever had before. Mm-hmm. Verses like, pray, f- love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Yeah. So we never would have known what those verses meant if we weren't in that situation. Wow. So the challenge of their testimony is this. They say, what what if you read just a verse a day, but you actually lived it? Mm-hmm. That's their message to others. They, they ended up evangelizing about 260 women and prison guards and others in that prison. Wow. What if we read just a verse a day, but actually lived it? Wouldn't that have a greater effect than reading it forwards and backwards and trying to seek understanding? What if we just obeyed what we've already read. Well, Jesus speaks about this, and obedience being the key. Says this in John 7, Anyone who chooses to do the will of God will find out whether my teaching comes from God or whether I speak on my own. You want to know if this teaching is true? Do God's will. Then he also says to the Jews who had believed him, Jesus says this, If you hold to my teaching... If you take action, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Which is usually the opposite of our education system. We want to know the truth, right? We want to know the truth, and so then we we look for the information, and then we decide if we want to put it into practice. Mm -hmm. Jesus says, practice it, and then you'll know it, and then it will set you free. Wow. Just the reverse. 
That's John 8. Romans 1, Paul says something there. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of the people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. I include that verse because I think that's me. <laughs> Where I'm not always this truth seeker in the word. In fact, I look at this and I realize my human nature is trying to suppress the truth. Actively working against it. I don't want to obey it. I have that wickedness within me. In a moment, I want to ask my wife to share. Along these lines of Jesus saying, hey, obey it and you'll understand it. If you want to experience it, if you want to find freedom, if you want to really know if my teaching is legit, practice it. Hold to it. Take action. Because then within that experience, as you're experiencing it, you're coming to incorporate it into your character, into your life, into actual situations. You're able to live it. The words come off of the page. We've experienced this with our daughter, Sersha. I want to ask my wife to share a bit about us. She's only a year old now, but we're teaching her obedience. Yes, yes um... Yeah, so I'm really grateful for moms. My mom is here today. She's upstairs watching Sersha, our daughter. And I love that he's talking about this concept of freedom because um, Sersha's name in Irish means freedom. And it's always really resonated with us in our hearts that, that the law, God's word really does bring freedom and it holds freedom and liberty. And so just this concept means so much to me in my heart. Uh, I'm typically upstairs with my daughter. And so the fact that my mom is here allows me to be down here and just really grateful for that because my first ministry is to my husband and to my children. That is where I feel God wants me the most to be the most present and active. Um, it's my responsibility and gift. But obviously the dynamics in those relationships with my husband versus with my daughter are very different. They're not the same kind of relationship. Um, and I love this definition of the role of motherhood that I read this morning. It says, the fundamental mission of motherhood now is the same as it's always been, to nurture, protect, and instruct children, to create a home environment that enables them to learn and grow, to help them uh, develop a heart for God and his purposes, and to send them out into the world prepared to live both fully and meaningfully. And it's up to us to embrace that mission as our own, trusting God to walk us through the details and to use our willing mother's hands as instruments of his blessing. And instructing my daughter to do what is right is hard. <laughs> like, it's a challenge. It's a daily, multiple times a day thing. My parents got to see how we instruct Sersha this weekend. And immediately my dad went, oh, this is hard, isn't it? <laughs> this is hard. So it's not easy. And her vocabulary is very small. She only knows how to say a few words. Um, but she knows how to test boundaries, <laughs> she does. Her physical boundaries, she's learning how strong she is, where to go, what's safe, what's not safe. Um, and it is in God's design for me to train her and uh, to, go, to teach her the way she should go. Uh, but God hasn't placed this responsibility on anybody except Joey and I. Like, it is not anybody's responsibility to discipline or train or instruct my daughter, really, but us. It's our main goal. Um, and I explained to Sersha a few times a day, I said, Sersha, you need to learn to obey and to listen. Like it's something she has to learn how to do. And I know that this is difficult for her to understand because her vocabulary is small. She's one year old, like he said. 
Um, and as she grows up, I'll be able to explain more of the why, why you need to obey, why you need to listen. But right now, we work through that, and I explain it succinctly and simply as possible, because I want her to hear it and understand. But she's completely dependent on us for her safety. It's up to us to make sure she stays safe and obeys those things. Mm -hmm. um, but ultimately, God is the shepherd of her heart. Like I pray over her every night. God, you're the shepherd of her heart. Teach us how to train her, but you're the ultimate one who's going to shepherd her heart. And I love that because God's heart is not to control us just for fun. Like, God is not interested in trying to just, you know, take away our freedom or our free will. He wants to give us free will in his will. Um, so I'm, of course, reminded of, like, Ephesians 6 that says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you, and that you may live long in the land. And fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. There's this calling for children and for us as parents, but there's a promise with it, that it may go well with you. Obey your parents that it may go well with you. It's a blessing with it. Um, and this still stands. You know, we, we have to teach our children to obey the Lord so that they'll grow up to be healthy, you know, able to interact in relationships well, adults who do well in the world. And I think obedience is hard when we don't understand why. Like when Sersha doesn't understand why can't yeah. I throw my food on the floor or touch the fireplace or run outside or things like that. Why do I have to hold your hand, Mom, when I'm walking on the gravel? <laughs> she did a face plant yesterday when she would not hold my hand and she got all scratched up. So she doesn't always understand why do I have to obey. But I think it's a lot easier to obey when we trust the parent who's telling us and who's trying to instruct us what to do. When we know they love me, they want my best interest for me, it's a lot easier to obey when we don't have all the information as to why. And it just, that reminded me of Isaiah, um, chapter 49. So if I read this real quick? No? Yes. <laughs> real quick. This is the last thing I wanted to say was Isaiah 49, verse 15 says, can a woman forget her nursing child, that she should have no compassion on the son of her womb? Even they, these may forget, yet I will not forget you. Behold, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. Your walls are continually before me. Because this, what stood out to me about this is how God's heart for us is similar to that of the mother's. He won't forget us. He loves us. We know he has a good plan for us to bring us a future, not harm. And when I think about the why of the who God is, like the God's heart behind calling me to obey, and I'm reminded of the freedom that he has in store for me, it makes obedience so much easier because I trust the Father who's asking it of me. I trust his heart for me. So that was just on my mind today. Thank you. It is Mother's Day, and that's actually, to me, the, the best way of understanding this Obedience. So, Sersha. So, Sersha's got a heart like me out of Romans 1, wickedness suppressing the truth. <laughs> but I love her. And your child psychologist will tell you this is uh, actions preceding beliefs. No, she doesn't know why I don't want her to throw the food off the tray, to not touch the fireplace. All those examples Madison gave, but I can teach her obedience before she understands why she's obeying. And in time, she'll understand. And by the time 
I can finally write it out and tell her, you know, this is why. Let me show you a paragraph. Or just explain to her verbally. She'll understand it by the action, by experiencing it. Action or obedience preceding belief. Same thing that Jesus is talking about here. So Madison said that when we trust Jesus, there isn't a blind obedience, it's convicted obedience that Jesus tells me to do this. And I believe that Jesus says if I obey, this will lead to freedom, that this will lead to a deeper understanding of his love. That's Jesus' claim here. That's how we grow in obedience. Mm -hmm. So we ask ourselves, yes, what is God saying to me? How can I obey it today, even if it doesn't make sense, even if I don't know the why? That requires submission to it, to not know why. It's tough to do. It's tough for me. And the temptation for me, always with the word of God, is to take the cake and like leave the vegetables. Sersha does this. <laughs> she does this all the time. <laughs> God wants me to take those vegetables as well. I want to take the cake on so many things. The Bible has clashed with every culture throughout all of history. I read through my Bible and I have opinions and things that I do not like. But Jesus is my king and his opinion overrides my opinion. So I need to take those vegetables as well. Again, not a blind obedience, but convicted that this is what Jesus is asking. This is what he's instructing. So I, I'm tempted to go through and insert my opinion and say, well, maybe this wasn't meant for me. But I need to come to a place of conviction that, no, this is what God is saying to me. This is what it meant for them, but now today, this is what it means for me, and this is how I can obey it in our modern day in place. Mm -hmm. Now, I said we're going to talk about pleasure. What does pleasure have to do with obedience? The pleasure of obedience. Mm -hmm. I think it's a chief motive that comes up again and again in the New Testament. And you'll see there's two great Greek words. The word for what is pleasing, which is also the word for what is acceptable. Usually when you see that in the New Testament. What is pleasing or acceptable to the Lord. Same word. Also, there's the word for favor and grace. Usually the same word in the New Testament. So we see in scriptures on pleasing the Lord or gaining favor in the Lord. And here's just a few, a brief survey. I had dozens more, but we don't have time for them. <laughs> the unmarried man, and this speaks to all walks of life, but the unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord. How to please the Lord. How to be holy in body and spirit. Try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Ephesians 5. Walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him. Bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. Very affirmational. affirmational. Hey, we keep his commandments and we please him. Almost all of these verses, and certainly more, link pleasing the Lord with obeying Him, with obeying His commands. Hey, this pleases the Lord. Now, we've got to be careful about what we're saying and not saying here. What obedience is not. 
The Bible also says this. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. If you're doing it just out of your flesh. Without faith, it is impossible to please Him. Is this an obedience inspired by and empowered by your faith, works through the Holy Spirit? Whatever does not proceed from faith is sin, it says in Romans 14. Jesus also points this out to the Pharisees, who were obedient in some ways. The people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. For the sake of your tradition, you have made void the word of God. And Ephesians 4 says this, opposite of pleasure, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. And that's speaking to a specific circumstance, but it does point to it being possible to grieve the Holy Spirit as much as it's possible to please the Lord. So what obedience is not? It's not blind obedience. It's not a legalistic adding to the commands of God and telling other people to follow those out of tradition. That wouldn't be obedience. That actually makes the word of God void. And obedience can't be done by our own strength and power. If we do it out of the flesh alone, that's not pleasing to God. That's trying to bring us more glory than it brings God glory. We so easily fall into all of these traps when we try to pursue obedience. Obedience that directly pleases God. I listed out a few things here that are directly linked to pleasing God. Presenting our bodies as a living sacrifice. Not being conformed to the world. Being transformed by the renewal of our minds. Not putting a stumbling block in the way of a brother's Christian life. Being holy in body and spirit. Preaching the true gospel. Sending financial gift to support the ministry. Bearing fruit in good works. Obeying your parents. Teaching all of God's truth faithfully. Having a pure heart before God in your ministry. Praying for civil government authorities. Supporting your own parents or grandparents who are in need. Believing that God exists and rewards those who seek Him. Worshiping with reverence and awe. Doing good. Sharing what you have with others. Doing God's will and keeping His commandments. Those are the direct, specific areas in the Bible where God's pleasure is linked with our obedience. But we need to talk about what obedience is not. As we hear the sermon, we're going to manufacture a thousand excuses of why we shouldn't obey. And I admit, I've, I've fallen into a thousand ways that a person shouldn't obey. So what obedience is not first? Pleasing God by obedience is complementary not contradictory to justification by faith alone. Obedience shouldn't interrupt God's grace. Pleasing God by works doesn't mean that you're justified by works. And justification by faith alone doesn't mean you're sanctified by faith alone. What I mean by that is in our daily sanctification, active obedience on our part is required, progressing towards Christ. Justification by faith alone doesn't mean I please God in my daily life by faith alone. Obedience is also required. I don't just tell God, hey, faith alone. Our daily relationship with God isn't just faith alone. It requires an obedience-based discipleship. In other words, we're not saved by our works, but we are saved to do good works. 
a few verses on what obedience is not that are so important. Romans 8, 8, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Hebrews eleven six. without faith, it is impossible to please him. Romans 14, 23, what, whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. In other words, it's a combination of active effort on our part to walk in obedience to God and also a firm trust in God for his power to enable us to do what we could not do on our own. If these good works don't come from faith, then they're not really good works. Matthew 15, 8 says this, The people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. A mere outward conformity is not obedience to God. goes on to say, For the sake of your tradition, you have made void the word of God. A legalistic obedience that adds to God's commands can actually void the word of God and void his pleasure in our obedience. Lastly, Ephesians 4.30 says, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. Just as we can please God with our obedience, we can grieve God by sin in our life, by disobedience. Same way my daughter Sersha, when she keeps food on her plate, she pleases me. When she throws the food off her plate, she can grieve me. She can give me a headache at times, but either way, pleasing me or grieving me, I still love her. Here's what's so encouraging. Maybe you're hearing this and you say, all right, great. Obedience pleases God, but I find obedience really difficult. Does that mean I don't really please God? What hope do I have? Well, here's what's so encouraging and affirmational. You don't have to try very hard to please God. And as you begin pleasing God, I think he begins a good work in you and you can increase all the more in your obedience. Here's what I mean by that. Hebrews 10, 24. So let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. We should stir each other up. We should inspire one another to continue in our obedience and increase. 1 Thessalonians 4.1 We ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. Wow, just as you are doing, you are pleasing God right now. And hey, you can do so more and more. Luke 2, 52 says that even Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. Two Proverbs. Proverbs three thirty four says that God, he mocks proud mockers, but shows favor to the humble and oppressed. Proverbs 12, 2, good people obtain favor from the Lord, but he condemns those who devise wicked schemes. So God can be pleased and displeased. He can give blessing and favor. But here's what we take away from those verses. We should be inspiring one another to obedience and good works. And as we do more and more, we gain experience in obeying the will of God. We're not just computers downloading information and then changing our actions. We need to live it out and experience it to further understand it and to further grow more and more in our obedience. It's a skill that you can acquire and you can increase in when you take action on it. 
We can grow in favor and grace. It can be multiplied to us. And it's often directly related to our obedience. Do you have an obedience-based discipleship? An obedience-based theology when you read the scriptures? One that's complementary to grace and not opposed to it. You know, for myself, I look back at when I was in high school wrestling. And I, I needed to assess my discipleship. Was I really obeying the word of God and growing in obedience and pleasing the Lord? So in high school, I was on the wrestling team. And we would practice for hours every single day. The, the coach would pair us up so that we could wrestle with one another. We would practice, practice, practice. And often the younger guys would pair up with the older guys. So they would train them on the more advanced moves. And then we'd all come together and we'd give feedback and then we'd break up again two by two. Always circling back to the coach and then going out again two by two to wrestle. And we'd prepare all week long for the competition. We would cut weight. We would eat healthy. We would work out. We'd have strength training. I'd be running to the gym every morning at 5 a.m. I'd fundraise for the team late into the evening. Man, there was a commitment, a devotion and a daily action and wrestling and pairing up and going out and coming back for instruction, putting it into practice. And it occurred to me during that time, I, I was maybe going to church once a week, maybe. I had asked myself, how good of a wrestler would I be if I applied my church life to the sport? Well, at best, I'd become an informed spectator. Showing up once a week to, to listen from the stands on how the coach was telling the players what to do. I don't even think I'd make it onto the map. Onto the mat, I'd be an informed spectator at best. Maybe I'd learn one wrestling move or two and then I'd come back the next week, but if I tried to put those into practice, I'd be pinned on my back. Conversely, what if I was a disciple of Jesus the way I was a disciple of wrestling? Growing up, I'd heard dozens of messages about loving my neighbor, making disciples, but I never bothered to obey it Sunday after Sunday when I occasionally showed up and I was just an informed spectator at church, not really putting the word into practice. And I read about making disciples here and there in the word and it convicted me a little bit more by reading it, but I learned to obey Jesus' commands and I understood it deeply by actually going out and doing it with others spurred on and inspired by them and what Jesus was doing through me. I actually had to wrestle. I had to hold to the word of God, not merely listen to the word, but do it. There is a clear difference for me of what obedience looked like and what merely reading the word of God looked like. For you today, these verses should encourage you that God is pleased with you at this very moment, right now. You're the apple of his eye. He takes pleasure in the good work he has done in each of us through Jesus Christ. And by the power of his Holy Spirit, he takes pleasure in your sincere desire to obey him. I, I believe that before you're even obeying him, your sincere desire right now to increase in obedience, he takes pleasure in that. He takes pleasure in the increasing manifestation of his character in your life. He takes pleasure in your daily acts of obedience that you daily offer him as spiritual sacrifices. 
He takes pleasure that he is daily equipping you with everything good, that you may do his will, working in you that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ. Hebrews 13.21 says that. Remember 1 Thessalonians 4.1, he takes pleasure that you've learned how you ought to walk and please him just as you are doing. 1 John 3.22, he takes pleasure that you can say, we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. Tomorrow morning when you wake up, and the next morning, and the next, are you going to have a daily relationship in obedience-based discipleship? Not just reading one paragraph after another in the Bible, but even if you read one verse, actually obeying it and putting it into practice. The choice of obedience-based discipleship is yours. Remember that God is pleased in the good works that he is doing through you. Thanks.